This is Reinvented. I'm Chris Bordoni, and this show is about the art and science of transformation. In season two of Reinvented, we're exploring ways to design a better life from your physical health to your mental well being and far, far beyond. Today, I have the tremendous privilege of speaking with Father James Martin, a Jesuit priest and the author of Learning to Pray. You may recognize Father Jim from his appearances on The Colbert Report. You may have also seen him in the news after the Pope wrote him a handwritten note encouraging him to continue his ministry to the LGBT community. In today's conversation, we talk about the power of prayer, what it takes to get started, and how to introduce spirituality to children. All right, let's get started. Again, thank you for coming on the show. Maybe to start with a both an obvious and a not obvious question. What is prayer and why pray? Well, those are very good questions. In the book, I talk about a lot of definitions of prayer. And the one that I land on is prayer is a conscious conversation with God. So it is a two-way street. And we can talk more about you know how, how we understand God answering in a sense. I think most of us feel comfortable talking to God or speaking with God. But it's the kind of response that we have trouble with. But it is a it is a conversation. And why pray? Boy, uh, do you want to be in a relationship with the creator of the universe? Uh, I think I think though that the most fundamental reason for prayer is that God uh, invites us to that. Mm. And people who might not be religious are probably thinking, what does that mean? You know, all of us. Uh, have a kind of natural desire for God, even people who are listening right now, right? I mean, there's a reason you're listening to a podcast about prayer. There's something in you that something in you that is drawn to it. And where does that attraction come from? That attraction comes from God. That's how God draws us. I mean, how else would God draw us closer other than by awakening in us the desire for prayer? So that's what we pray really because God invites us into prayer. Are there... Um and thinking about people that you know you work with, that you counsel, your own training, etc. Are there um, are there moments that pop out where God is inviting you into prayer? Like, so you mentioned just if you're scrolling through your list of podcasts and you stop on this one, right? There's something about that. But are there other other moments, other other signs, perhaps that you're being called to enter into a, a deeper relationship with something bigger than yourself? That's a great question. That's I, I like the way you put that. I, I think that the the most fundamental. Uh, sign is that you desire it, right? We were talking about that before, that there's something in you that just wishes you had a relationship with God or reads a book about prayer, or sees someone praying, or reads about, you know, some religious figure that you admire, like Pope Francis or Thomas Merton or Mother Teresa or Abraham Joshua Heschel, whatever tradition, or you see a picture of someone praying, you say, boy, I wish I could live that kind of contemplative life. But I think in our day-to-day lives, um, you know, it's something like, feeling the a longing for something more, right? I think all of us struggle with that, right? All of us have that feeling, what, what is, what's the purpose of my life? What, what is it all about? Yeah. Is there something more? And, you know, one of the great quotes, I think, if St. Augustine had never written anything else, this would have been enough. Uh, St. Augustine wrote, our hearts are restless until they rest in you, O Lord. And so it's this kind of longing. So an awareness of that longing, an awareness that life, you know, no matter how fulfilling, is not ultimately fulfilling. And then sort of smaller things, you know, you're, you know, you see a sunset, you see a flower, you see a bird, and you just sort of filled with awe. There's, I talk a lot about different ways of praying unawares in my book. Yeah, I want to get so to I that. Think, yeah, I think people, you know, one of, the, one of the, the lines I really like is from a Jesuit friend of mine who died um, uh, very young. 
And he said, which I love this, and I put it in the book, that everyone has those experiences, everyone, but they're not encouraged to talk about them. Yeah. Isn't that great? Like, like everyone has them, but they sort of, you know, push them aside and there's no one there to say, let's, let's talk about what that means in your life. So part of the, part of the, um, purpose of this book is to encourage people to look at those things. Yeah. I want to come back to that. I want to talk about children actually at the end um, and then get your thoughts on how to introduce prayer and what that could look like. Um, because I think there is something cultural around, depending on what culture you grow up in and what that all looks like, where prayer may be sort of sidelined or maybe, you know, something ancillary to life. Whereas if we we're having this conversation a hundred years ago uh, in person, obviously at the time, um, you know, it, we would, we would be talking about these things in much different ways. In fact, we probably wouldn't even be talking about it because it's just a given in, in our life. I think that's right. And, and if you went back, you know, a thousand years, even more so, uh, you know, one of the, um, chapters in the book is on praying in nature. Yeah. And one of the things I say is that, you know, even to, even to have to sort of talk about this, you know, like say 2,000, 4,000 years ago, everybody, the, the entire world was suffused with God's presence. Right. It was, you were in creation. And so the idea that you would have to sort of, you know, think about that, you know, was, would have been surprising to people, but you're right. I mean, we're more secular. And so I try to meet people where they are. Mm -hmm. And the book is really uh, about meeting people where they are and trying to invite them into a life of prayer. Yeah. I want to, um, you talk about this at the end of your book, so I'm going to skip around, but you talk about coming down from the mountain, right? This question of, so what do you do? Like if, if in prayer you're, you know, you have new insights, you're called to do something, like what do you do with it, right? So let's just talk for a moment about the objective. Like if I have, I enter into this relationship with God, it, is that the objective in and of itself? Like I'm just close with the creator, that sounds pretty good. Or is there more to it about doing something? Well, I, I like, I think the answer is in your the answer is in your question. I like what you say. Am I just close to the creator? <laughs> As if that's a small thing. Am I thing. underselling it? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think you're underselling it a little bit. I think, you know, the, the best way to understand prayer and a relationship to God or with God is by analogy, uh, a relationship with a friend or a spouse, right? You're married, right? Yep. So, you know, you could say, well, what do I get out of the marriage? Right. It sounds funny when you, <laughs> you say know, it what's that way. The, what's, the, what's the goal? And, you know, it's funny when you think about, well, the marriage itself, the relationship itself, the love you feel, uh, the compassion you feel, the, you know, and all, as well as the, the, the wonderful, fun things you feel. I mean, the relationship is the, is the goal, basically. And, but there are, there are a lot of things that flow out of that, right? So lots of things in your marriage, you know, are as a result of your relationship. But that's not the reason, right? You're not, it's not kind of transactional, you know, like I'm going to get married in order that. Yeah, it's it's just about being being in a relationship with someone, and that that really is the, the 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 purpose. But out of those things come you know come. I think they there are some actions that come out of that. I think prayer should change us. For example, people say, "What are you talking about?" For example, if you're praying about, say, a passage in the Bible or whatever scriptures you you like um, that talks about people who are poor, and you read a story about refugees and migrants, and you connect it. And you say, wow, maybe God is actually inviting me to, to look at these people. Or, or you pass a homeless person on the street and you feel the sense of compassion. And you start to think, maybe God wants me to do something. So the idea is that if that's being raised up in you, maybe God does want you to do something. I mean, how else would God act in you? So I do think prayer should change us. And prayer does change us like a marriage will change you. But that's not the reason you get married. So it's putting the cart before the horse a little bit. So you could say, you know, my wife has made me a better person. Okay, did I, did 
did I get married in order that, you know, it was like a self-improvement thing? No. So, so it's, it's the both end. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I think that's a very thoughtful way of, of putting it. Um, I, I want to talk about how to pray in a moment, but before we get there, I think you alluded to this, that there's a lot of things that sort of look and feel like prayer, right? So there's things that, that one might do. Um, I'm not sure that all of these would count. Um, but like, what are, so maybe let's start with this. What are the ingredients required, right? So like for it to be prayer, like is, is meditation prayer is mindfulness prayer or is prayer something that, um, has a couple of specific components to it for it to count in your mind? Well, that's interesting. I mean, I think the boundaries are fairly porous, right? Uh, but I do think that, I mean, I, I obviously meditation is wonderful and, and people use meditation and, and, but I think that the difference is that prayer is about the relationship. Okay. Prayer has an object and the object is God. Yeah. So there are many people that I know, many friends of mine who meditate, obviously and do yoga and which is great, right? Who connect with themselves, who connect with the universe. That's great. It is. And I'm not sort of denigrating that. Prayer is different. Prayer is about God, right? And so it is about the relationship. Uh, and so, yeah, prayer has an object um, and a subject too. So it's a little bit different. It, it's funny. Uh, I say in the book, uh, a woman came to me once and she said, who is a believer? And she said, I'm having trouble praying. And I said, all right. So we talk about that. I do a lot of what's called spiritual direction, mm -hmm. which is talking to people about prayer. And uh, she said, oh, I meditate every morning. I said, no, no kidding. What's that like? Well, I, she described it. I sit in my room and I'm quiet and I am still, and I try to connect with the universe. And I said, okay, well, why don't you just invite God into that? Yeah. And she said, oh, I could do that. <laughs> so that, so in, in other words, some of the techniques and the practices are very much the same, but, but that, did, that did change it for her. Yeah. It was inviting God into that space or, or, or maybe recognizing that God's already in that space. Yeah, acknowledging, acknowledging mm -hmm. the presence. Right. I thought that part was really fascinating. I think about some of the experience that I've had, um, you know, when I was sick, for example, and being in an infusion center receiving chemotherapy, like that was a very prayerful time for me. I never would have thought of that. I didn't think about that until I read your book and then realized, oh, I was sitting there in a chair with my eyes closed, you know, having a conversation with something bigger than me, with God about, you know, what was the plan and why were we going through this and what, what was the intention? Right. And I, you know, I, there was a knowingness that came out of it and a, a reassurance around, you know, I was going to make it and that my work wasn't done. And that was really profound for me. Um, but I never thought about that as being, you know, extended prayer over a three month period. But now in hindsight, that's, that's a very obvious thing now that you say it. Oh <laughs> yeah. Actually, let me, I, if you don't mind sure. me asking you a few things, you know, a little spiritual direction, because people are going to wonder, what was that like? So, for example, you say I had a sense of knowingness and mindfulness and a sense of there is a plan. How did that manifest itself to you? Because I think that's one of the most important things. People might hear this and say, well, I would like that. But yeah. in other words, how did that how did you experience that? I, I experienced it as an inner knowing, not the voice in my head, not someone speaking to me. It was just a, like a thought, like when you when you remember something that's on your grocery list or something you need to go do where it just pops into your head. Um, and it was, it was that except with like a little more gravity and a little more peace or tranquility around it of just, it's okay. Um, and, and that was, that was really powerful. And, and I think it was part of the reason I think that it happened as I think about your book was I was doing things like I was reading Victor Frankl's man's search for meaning and, and, you know, contemplating certain passages of that and, you know, and using mindfulness apps and things that were kind of bringing me into a space where I think 
I want to talk about this a little bit later, but like that veil became thinner in that moment. And it was just easier to have that, that conversation or I suppose receive that message. Very well put. And thanks for sharing that. And that is the way that happens. So people tend to think, you know, am I, am I supposed to hear voices or see visions? And that is exactly the way it happens. And I talk about, I talk about that in the book, right? Yeah. Sort of how, how these insights come up or how words and phrases come up and you're not hearing them, but it is just like that. They come into your mind and, and we have to say, you know, does that make sense with what we know about God? Absolutely. So in a time of stress and physical discomfort and worry, would the God that we know uh, and the God that we believe in, you know, give you a sense of calm and peace? Absolutely. And so that sounds completely authentic. I'd also say this, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, uh, you're reading about these things, but you were also more vulnerable. And so I think one of the ways that God has a breaking in, in those difficult situations is when we are vulnerable. Now, some people might hear that and think, oh, so God gives us sickness so that God can teach us something. No, it's just that our defenses are down in a way that they are not normally. And so God can break in more. God can, we're more open, we're more vulnerable. And that is why people uh, to have these experiences of God, especially when they're sick or when they're struggling. And it isn't because it's a crutch. It's because we are more vulnerable and open yeah. and and receptive, too, I would say. So I think that's beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. that that's a very, I mean, you know this, um, but I think for people to hear that kind of experience helps people to see that it is real and that it is something that is not beyond, you know, anybody. Yeah. Well, and I think um, the two other thoughts on that are one, I think one thing that also made it more possible was just the amount of silence and boredom and just quiet that was, Absolutely. that was available in that moment because I was, I had nowhere else that I could be and nothing else that's that right. I could be doing. And so I think that's a, that's a really helpful for reminder for me to think about how I structure my life and how you make, Absolutely. how you make that. Time. Now, and people ask that to your, your, your walking advertisement for prayer, frankly. Yeah. Because that is exactly right. And I could, I, that, that one sentence you just said is more powerful than anything I could say about why people should be silent. Right. Right. It just, you, you need that. And if you tell people that it can kind of sound like a, it's like a scolding, like, Oh, your, 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 your life is too noisy and you're always on your phone. And, but no, it's you, this, this, that kind of, um, space opens things up for God and it allows you to not be distracted and to focus. And this is why people go on retreats. Yeah. This is why people take uh, an hour out of the day and they're just quiet. And, you know, if you're always distracted, you're never going to be able to hear that. What, 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 uh, the Bible calls that still small voice. Yeah. Just so beautiful. Uh, so yeah, thanks for sharing that. I think that's really going to help the listeners. Sometimes it, it would be easier if God would do more shouting, but I think it's that small yeah, it voice. Would be. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be nice? Uh, but you know, it's it's funny. There's the it's it's the passage where um, there's a prophet in a cave, and it's in the Old Testament, and uh, this uh, tornado comes, but it says God wasn't in the tornado, and then um, lightning and thunder comes, but God wasn't in the lightning and thunder, and then. The prophet hears this still small voice. It's a kind of a, it's a wind, like a very gentle wind, and the prophet hides his face because it's God. Well, let's let's talk about prayer itself. So, um, sure. There's, I think, one of the things that I really loved about the book was that there's not there's not one way to pray. There's no right or wrong in prayer. There's maybe mm-hmm. some ingredients that are helpful. Um, if I'm putting words in your mouth, but you you mention a variety of different prayers. So you mention examine, Ignatian contemplation, conversations with God, sacred texts, centering prayers. 
like th- there's a, almost like a menu of wonderful different options. So for someone who's either never prayed or been away from prayer for a long time, is there a good place to start? Yeah, I think that um, the what's called the examination of conscience is a great place to start. And the examine, so what we call it the examine in uh, the Jesuit world, is basically a review of the day. Uh, and it's looking to see where God has been, because it's often easier to see where God was than it is to see where God is. And the examine has five parts. You can do it, you know, in any way you want. But you first you place yourself in the presence of God. Now, what does that mean? That just means that you, you know, imagine that God is with you. So it's not just a monologue. Right. When you were sitting, you know, in the hospital or getting your treatments, it wasn't just you thinking it was, you know, you're trying to connect with, as you say, something greater than yourself. And then the second stage is um, uh, looking at the things you're grateful for. So calling to mind things that you're really grateful for uh, in the day. This is looking at the past day. So, you know, something small, a funny text from a friend, you know, a bit of good news, right? Something wonderful happened. Uh, you know, even something, you had know, a great meal, you know, or the weather finally turned nice. And you, you call to mind, you thank God and you savor it. It's just, and why do we do that? Because we are, we are um, people who want to, and I'm sure a lot of people on this podcast are people who want to kind of get things done, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. On to the next thing. Yeah. And so at the end of the day, it's like, okay, that day's done. Bring on tomorrow, right? Or maybe don't bring on tomorrow. <laughs> you know, I have a list of things to do and oh my gosh, versus actually spending time thinking about where God has been and looking at things you're grateful for. So that's, that's the second step. Third step is a review of the day. You look at all the different places um, that you you have encountered God, where you felt God's presence, right? And you go, you know, morning, noon, and night. And then you look at the things you're uh, sorry for and the things that um, you are thinking about for the next day and ask God's grace and God's help. So basically, it's a review of the day. And you're able to see things that you wouldn't normally be able to see because you're quiet. Uh, you're not sort of rushing to the next thing. And, you know, we sometimes just fail to notice things. That happens to me all the time. If I, if I ever sort of rush through my exam and at the end of the day, I say, oh, well, there's probably something there that I'm missing. And it's like, oh, right, I remember that. That was kind of beautiful. Yeah. So you see God's presence. And that enables you in the, in the day to come to, to notice it more. Would, would you mind going back just for a second? So you mentioned looking for examples of, of God in your daily life. What are some types of things that people might recognize in those moments? Well, good question. So it's, it's a moment where, for example... Uh, you feel consoled by something or uh, encouraged or you get a sense of hope. So, for example, something simple. Let's say everybody, we've all made it through this pandemic. I mean, you know, in terms of actually just sort of like struggling through and so many people, uh, everyone who's listening has been affected by the pandemic. They probably lost, um, you know, loved ones and, you know, might have had problems with their job. And so so now we're coming out of it. But we've all had the experience of having someone say, someone say something to us that is consoling or hopeful yeah right during the pandemic you know maybe it was a doctor who said you'll be fine maybe it was you know religious leader or a friend who gave you an insight right you know this is how i'm dealing with it and you just feel a sense of oh my gosh i feel so uplifted that you know can you consider that that might be one way that god has of speaking to you mm-hmm. so to use your analogy uh, chris you were saying that you know you weren't hearing voices in prayer it was something that came up you know, in your consciousness. This is the way God works. God works sort of mediated through our regular life, through our daily life. I mean, how else would God do it? And so, you know, a kind word from a friend, you know, something you read, something you see, something you you sort of intuit, 
that gives you a sense of calm, I would say this is one way that God has of communicating with you. So that's one way. But then just, um, you know, simple things like, you know, you, you know, you, you I, I was, uh, I have a rooftop garden in my Jesuit community and I was just on the roof watering the plants. It's 97 today in New York. And um, I saw this robin that just was like three feet away from me, just started singing. And I just thought, now look, is that God? Is the robin God, you know, like giving me a message? No, but is it, it is a sign of God's love for us and for humanity? Sure. Yeah. So those, those kinds of small things. Yeah. That's really helpful. Let's let's talk about discernment or the idea of how do you mm. know what's what's God versus what's a random pile of leaves or, or whatever it is, right, that you're trying yeah. to decide between. Um, I think you make an important, important point here, which is that in sort of your appreciation for God, right? Like you can, we can appreciate the, the like beauty of nature, for example, without it necessarily being a direct intervention with God because it's, you know, created right by mm-hmm. our creator, however you want to think about it. Um, but I think there oftentimes seems like there comes up a, a time or a question when it's like, I'm in prayer or I'm in a quiet moment and something comes to me and I'm trying to decide, is this, is this right. official? Is this from God right. or is this like yeah. my insecurity whatever it is in my mind. How do you navigate that? That's a great question. And I think one of the things I, I, I would have probably said it a little differently, a little more clearly in my book is that most people can trust themselves okay. when they're doing this. So I think the best example is your example. Yeah. Okay. So when you had that experience, I think, you know, if you were saying, okay, I'm thinking about something and a hamburger comes into my mind, it's like, Oh, is there like a, is there like some message from God about the hamburger? You could say, Probably not. I'm probably hungry. It's probably a distraction. If I have an insight about my life and the direction of my life and my illness that calms me, that uplifts me, that makes sense, that unlocks something, yes, that's coming from God, right? So, so what are the what are the kind of uh, sort of guidelines? Well, the first thing is, does it make sense? Yeah, does it make sense that that God would, you know, kind of give you someone who's going through a, a physical challenge the sense of calm absolutely does it fit with what we know about god is god a god who kind of consoles and uplifts and does jesus you know for the christians say fear not yes that makes sense does it lead to an increase in love and faith and charity i mean if you have an insight in prayer like i want to go punch someone in the face or you know kill them or burn their house down right that doesn't seem to be coming from god um also is it uh, is it lasting does it really have an effect on me Hmm. um does it um sometimes does it seem to come from outside of me there's a little of that you know as you were saying it's kind of it's it's a sort of deep knowing yeah so it's 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 in it's inner but it's also kind of outer but i think that you know i get asked that question i think most people can discern yeah most people and your yours is as i said a perfect example if you came to me as in spiritual direction and said i'm not sure if that comes from god i would say that sounds really authentic to me yeah and look you've remembered it how long, how long ago was that? Uh, it was five, five and a half years ago. And still, I remember and very clearly. About yeah, absolutely. And you're still talking about it. Yeah. So that's, so versus, you know, I mean, look, sometimes these things come up in prayer. Let's say, I mean, something crazy. Let's say, and I know that we have a lot of professionals on this podcast that you're praying about your boss. You say to God, I want to just, I hate my boss and it just drives me crazy or she just drives me crazy. And I want to pray about it and see what God has to say. And you don't know very much about prayer. That's okay. You know, and you sit down and you sort of ask God. And the first thing that comes to your mind is the image of you going into the office and punching her or him in the face. You just, you just love that image. So that's definitely you know, God, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. So, <laughs> so if you said to yourself, that is clearly 
not coming from God. But let's say um, you're praying and you you have this sense of, well, you know what? Like, who cares if they say these things to me? You know, that, yeah. do, I, do I have to really let that in? Maybe they're mean to me and you know, I can stand up for myself, but do I have to let that throw me? And can I just let that sort of insight guide me that I can be free of the need for them to even like me? Even look, look how the, even the way I'm speaking, the voice just sounds different. It's calmer. Okay. It's more thoughtful. It, it leads to a sense of hope and uplift. Now, if you came into me as a, as a, you know, spiritual directee, as we say, and you presented those two moments in prayer, I would probably say now, well, which one sounds more authentic to you? And the second one really is authentic because that is how God would work. So I, I guess what I'm saying is a long way of saying it. Most of us can trust yeah. that, that we can discern uh, what God's voice is like in our prayer. And the other thing is, once you get to know it, you'll recognize it. So let's say, Chris, that, that voice that you had, which, you know, the still small voice, as the Old Testament says, right? You'll, you'll recognize that in the future. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I think what's so what's so beautiful about this conversation is the idea that we already have everything we need inside of us. Oh yeah. Right. So to to yeah. pray like I think many of us are already doing something that looks a lot like prayer or is pretty close to your point. Mm-hmm. And you have what you need to pray and then you have what you need to discern whether it's, you know, which which messages to listen to. That that's I think a really empowering message that I had never really thought about before. It is. You know, because ev- I mean the, the subtitle of my book is a guide for everyone. Everyone can pray. Yeah, everyone can pray because everyone's called into a relationship with God. Even people who might doubt that. And I think the key, though, is um, that there does need to be some intentional time, right? So there are these moments when you're, you know, walking down the street or whatever, commuting or you know whatever you're doing, and you have these insights, you have these, you know, feelings. But there does have to be that intentional time. Again, I compare it to a relationship. So, you know, you and your wife obviously, you know, have you know talking all the time and blah blah blah. But if I said to someone, do you ever spend any one-on-one time with your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend or partner or whatever? And they go, oh, no, we're together all the time. We don't need to spend one-on-one time. People would say, "Mm, that's interesting. So the same with God. Is there there space in your day for the one-on-one time when you really do open yourself up just to God? That's where you sit. It's like sitting down with a friend and saying, okay, now you have my attention. What's going on? The relationship analogy, I think, is a really powerful one. I appreciate you framing it that way. You're welcome. And, you know, this comes from a Jesuit that just died a few months ago, Father Bill Barry. It's a brilliant analogy because it also can help you uh, diagnose problems with your spiritual life. Right. Uh, so, for example, like, oh, I don't find God in my daily life anymore. Are you spending much time with God in prayer? No, not really. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so listening, being open to change, those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, yeah so it is a great analogy. The, um, the other question I have for you about this prayer or how to pray, I guess, is there's, it seems like there's a different type of question or need that folks have where it's, I'm trying to decide between two things, or I'm trying to figure out what to do specifically, right? Maybe this is like a, a, a distinction without meaning, but um, things like, I'm trying to decide if I should take job A or job B, yeah. or should I leave this job or should I stay? Or should I have yeah. a second kid? Like those types of questions, right? Do you, do you counsel people to approach those differently? Oh, sure. Uh, that's actually, uh, there's, a, there's a whole sort of school of whatever practice uh, in Jesuit spirituality. It's, it's called discernment. It's called discernment, which is basically kind of a prayerful way of making decisions. I talk a little bit about that in the book, a little bit more about that in my book, The Jesuit Guide to Almost Everything. 
and it's really, you know, what should I do? And St. Ignatius, the founder of the Jesuits, you might be surprised as this incredibly uh, rich and detailed way of approaching that. So he, this, I, I love this. This is so helpful for people. He said there are three, he calls them times, three times that you make a decision. It's really three kinds of decisions. So let's say, where should I go, right? Should I stay in this city or move to this city? Should I take that job or should I take this job or should I move it all? So Ignatius says there's three times. The first time is uh, that there's no doubt. Okay, so you are interviewing for a job in Philadelphia. Um, you get the perfect job. You get, um, you know, you get an amazing salary. It's an amazing, uh, you know, office of people. You have friends in Philadelphia. You've been wanting to move there. Yeah. Done. Okay, now that still is a decision. You still have to take the job. It's, you still have to decide. But Ignatius says, I love this phrase, you don't doubt and cannot doubt. So that's the first time. Most of us are not in those situations. Um, the second time is when you have these two choices and you're able to pray about them and you feel inclined one way or the other. Okay. And so, for example, when you think about moving to Philadelphia, you feel a sense of peace, of calm, of rightness. When you think about staying where you are, you feel the sense of kind of unease. And so in your prayer, you are able to discern, you're able to see right, quietly within yourself where you're inclining. Mm -hmm. right? Now, many of us are not in that position either. And that's why the third time is probably the most helpful. The third time is where you, you it's not clear. It's like not like, you know, this is obvious. You don't feel anything in prayer. You're sort of like still torn. Ignatius has these brilliant techniques. The first is, the first is going to sound really banal. You write pros and cons down on a piece of paper and you pray about them. People say, oh, well, that's it. That's, that's the big Ignatian, whatever. Well, the problem is most people actually don't do that. Right. <laughs> so you literally write them down. You can see them. And then, then you bring them before God. Because when people do that, it's kind of like, oh, my gosh, look at all of those Look at all those cons that I forgot about. But then even better are more imaginative, imaginative techniques, and these are the ones I like the best. So the first one is thinking about yourself in your deathbed. It's a little morbid, but what would you have preferred to do? Yeah. That's actually very helpful for people. Yeah. Imagine yourself and you're thinking, oh, my gosh, I should have taken that job. Right? Uh, the second technique is in this third way. Imagine someone exactly like you coming to you for advice. Right? What would you tell that person? In other words, imagine yourself at the last judgment. Now, this is especially for a moral decision, right? I mean, I don't think you know God's going to condemn us for moving or not taking a job, but a moral decision, right? Sure, sure. And then my my favorite way of doing it. This is kind of my spin on it. Everyone has an idea of what their best self is, right? So, Chris, I'm sure you have an idea of the person you want to be in five years. More loving, more free, more whatever, more fill in the blank. Everybody has a different idea. What would your best self do? Hmm. So let me give you an example. Um, I had a good friend of mine. Uh, his mother died about, oh, I guess about 10 years ago. And the funeral was in upstate New York, in Rochester. I was in New York City. I was very busy. And I thought, should I go or should I not go? He's a very good friend. He's very I would say inconvenient in the sense that it was a very busy time in my life. I was super busy. I just, oh my gosh, like flying up to Rochester and getting a room in a Jesuit community and flying back. And oh my gosh. And I couldn't decide what to do. Like, and I said to myself, what would my best self do? And that answer came immediately. Go. Yeah. The person I would want to be would go. 
the end. Yeah. So it was a great. So there are like there are techniques, and it is a different kind of prayer. It's it's, it's called the sermon. That's a long answer to your question, but I wanted to spend no, time a, on it because I know people ask me that question a lot. It's a great answer, and it's so helpful. And I think to bring it back to what we were talking about before. It feels like it's a lot easier to do that if you can find the space to slow down and to be oh, yeah. a little quieter and to remember, oh, yeah, there's techniques that someone someone came up with, what, 500 plus years ago? 500 like, years ago, yeah. It's been, it's been time-tested. pretty brilliant. I mean, they really yeah. help people. And especially that, I think the two that are the most helpful are what would you, thinking about your deathbed, what would you like to do? That's really helpful. Like, what kind of life would I like to lead? What kind of decisions would I, would I want to make? Uh and then the best self, it's super, it's super helpful. It's yeah. just, it's very clarifying because people, frankly, people can, when you ask them that, what would your best self do? Oh, they would do this. It's like, okay, then yeah. do it. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. We don't think about more things that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll say. The, uh, the other thing I mentioned this in the beginning that I really want to talk to you about is children. So I, you know, our daughter's three years old. And so we're thinking more and more about how do you, you know, how do you introduce them to faith and spirituality and something bigger than themselves? And I think there's value in that. Um, but, you know, for many people, that's not simple. A lot of people have had, you know, negative experiences with religion in their own life or don't have the time or the space or the wherewithal or whatever it is. Um, so thinking about prayer and perhaps spirituality more broadly, do you have thoughts on how best to introduce that to young kids? Yeah. Well, the first thing is you don't have to be an expert to do it. Okay. So when I was growing up, this is probably before you were born. Uh, there was a baby book that everybody read by Dr. Benjamin Spock. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it was this baby, whatever it was called, the, the mm-hmm. Dr. Benjamin Spock's baby book. And uh, the first line was very famous and it was, and it was, it was like a, it was a, it was a how-to book. Maybe you've read it. I've no seen one. it. Yeah. I think we might have a copy yeah. of it. The first line is, you know, more than you think you do. Which is very, I'm sure it's very, I've never been a parent, but I'm sure it's very consoling. Yeah. And you know more than you think you do in terms of, of God. And look, from a spiritual point of view, God has put you there. Not me, not Mother Teresa, not Pope Francis, not whatever, whatever saint you like. Yeah. But, or even Dr. Benjamin Spock, but you. So trust yourself and your experience. That's the first thing. The second thing is, I think children are naturally religious. And so part of it is just encouraging them to talk about what they already experience, mm. right? Uh, and it might surprise you and to be open to the ways that God is at work in them. And then I think the third thing is just encouraging them to speak openly about God and to speak in their own language. Yeah. Right? I mean, obviously, this is not the time for, you know, discussion. You know, with a three-year-old, you're not going to talk about the Trinity, right? Oh, well, what, what's, your, what's your child's name? Uh, her name is Penny. Yeah, you want to say, Penny, you know, I hear praying to God. Are you also taking into account Jesus and the Holy Spirit? Because they are also present in the Trinity. You obviously would never do that. But you might say, um, hey, let's pray out loud to God together. What would you like to say to God? You know, and so to kind of encourage that friendship. And I think the more friendly that the parent is to God, the more open that the child will be. I mean, think about it, actually. Um, If a friend comes over to your house and Penny sees you acting warmly with that, person she'll try to be just much more warm now if someone comes over and you're really hostile to the person let's say whatever they come over to argue with you you know penny will probably cower in the corner and the same with god right so if you can if you can introduce that if you can introduce penny to god as a friend of yours yeah uh, i think it helps but i think just trust yourself and and do your best too you don't have to be a theologian 
you know, with a, with a kid. Yeah. I'll tell you one of the most extraordinary experiences uh, for this for me. I have I don't have children, obviously. I'm a Catholic priest, but um, but I have two nephews who I love, and I've got to see them grow up. I baptize them and all, and all this great stuff. And one time I was with my nephew Matthew, who's now 16, and um, we were in church. It was uh, Christmas Eve, and there was the Christmas crash, you know, or the nativity scene. And uh, I went over, and there was the there was the baby Jesus in the little manger, you know, obviously not the real baby Jesus. And uh, I said to Matthew, "Let's go over and say a prayer." <clears throat> this is Christmas Eve, and uh, he was probably about nine, eight or nine. And I said, "Do you want to say anything?" You know, I tried to make it not super self-conscious, and I thought he was going to say, "Oh, I want a toy. I want this. I want that." You know what he said? "Make me a good boy, Jesus." And I just thought, "My gosh, it was very, you know, it was simple." Yeah. Very heartfelt. And uh, I didn't coax him. You know, the difference between me saying, go up and pray <laughs> right. that Jesus makes you a good boy. It was really sweet. And I thought I didn't have to say anything. Yeah. So it's kind of, I think children are often naturally religious. Not at all times. I mean, obviously, you know, I, I, I spend enough time with my nephews to know that they're not always, it's not like they're always angels. But I think within them, like within us, is that kind of natural religiosity. Yeah. I think that's really, really helpful. Um, the last question I have for you is, you know, we were talking before about how there's so much of this is accessible. You can do it on your own. But I feel like there's often times where it is helpful to get a little bit of direction and guidance. So you talk about spiritual directorship. Um, where might people go? So for someone who's listened to this conversation and says, this is really cool, I certainly recommend your book. I'll link to that in the show notes. I think it's a fantastic starting point. Um, but you mentioned um, you mentioned Barry, and I'm sure there's other folks where you love their work. Like, what's kind of on your short reading list, or what are the resources where it's, hey, go to your you know go to your church and ask for this, and people will be willing to help. Like, how would you navigate this if you're just starting out? It's a great question, and that thank you for asking that because for a lot of people they say, oh, now what, right? right? I mean, if you want to like start working out, everybody knows where to go to, go to a gym and you know, get a personal trainer, and if you have a problem with your you know, some medical problem, you know, to go to a doctor, but what about your kind of spiritual life? Um, so yes, thank you. The, the book I think will help people get started out learning to pray. Uh, but there are uh, several other books that I really like. I think my favorite is Bill Barry's book, William A. Barry's book, God and You, which is, okay. it, it, which sort of opens up this idea of prayer as a personal relationship. There's another book by a woman named Joyce Rupp, R-U-P-P, called Praying, not surprisingly. But I think, um, you know, people, if they want to really deepen this, can find a spiritual director. Now, where do you go for a spiritual director? Well, first of all, you want someone who's trained. Okay. You don't just go to someone who's holy. St. Teresa of Avila, the 16th century Carmelite nun, was once asked, would you want someone holy or wise? And you would think, oh, she's definitely going to say holy. Wise. Hmm. You know, you want someone who really knows what they're doing. It's like going to a doctor. You want someone who's, that's actually a good analogy. You want someone who's fit. Or someone who's wise. I want to go someone who's wise, right? And like understands things. Um, where would you find a spiritual director? Well, the, probably the easiest place would be a local retreat house. There's okay. dozens of them, no matter where you live. They have lists of directors. Uh, I would go to your, if you're Catholic, parish priest or your minister or your rabbi to ask them for recommendations, right? And then there are there are websites like Spiritual Directors uh, International. Spiritual directors international, but I think the best place is a retreat house. They have tons of like lists of directors and then go on a retreat, yeah. you know, and you know, try like a three day retreat. They're beautiful. Like the kind of experience you were talking about in terms of being quiet, it's beautiful. You know, it costs a little money, but it's, it's beautiful. And, uh, 
that kind of changed your life. Many people go on even three-day retreats are kind of blown away by what happens. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. I'm going to send you an email after I go on a retreat. It seems like I can't believe I haven't had that experience. Oh, I'm trying to figure out where I'm going this summer. Jesuits make a, an eight-day retreat every year. Yeah. And, and that's a, a silent retreat, retreat, correct? Yeah. And it's, yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's mostly praying. Yeah. Uh, a 30-day retreat uh, twice in their lives. Okay. I mean, we talk to our directors and you can say, you know, excuse me or something if you bump into someone. Sure. But yeah, it's silent. And it's, it's kind of beautiful. Really, it, you know, you're, you're kind of praying all the time because you're kind of aware. I think all of us could use an eight-day silent retreat every oh, year. Oh, I think all of us could use an eight-day silent retreat. I think all of us could use an eight-day silent retreat every year. Yeah, you're ahead of the curve. <laughs> awesome. But I do want to say, for people who can say, like, that's ridiculous. Like, I can't take eight days off. Take a day off. Take a weekend off. That you can do. Yeah. Because I recognize not everyone, look, like, not everyone has eight days to take off. Take a weekend off. Take a day off. Go to a retreat house. You'd love it. Yeah. Awesome. Father Martin, this has been incredibly helpful. Thank you so much for writing this book. Thank you for making the time. And thank you for all the work that you're doing. I, I know um, many listeners are probably aware that you're doing some amazing work out there in the community. So thank you for everything that you've been doing. And thanks for coming on. My pleasure. And thanks for sharing some of your story. I think it'll really help people to understand the reality of prayer. So thank you very much for being so transparent and open. Thanks so much for checking out this episode. If this was your first time listening to Reinvented, be sure to click the subscribe button now. If you've been enjoying the show for a while, don't forget to leave a rating in Apple Podcasts. And if you know someone that would love this episode, take a moment to spread the word. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.